Good morning, good morning. We have got a show for you today. Allison Williams, current sportscaster at Fox Sports, previously for many years with ESPN, forced out because she refused to take the COVID vaccination, is joining us live here on Outkick the Morning. Plus, we're going to take a look back at 2023 and really think about what life would have been like if the world wasn't so woke. Plus, I hit the streets to find out all of your New Year's resolutions. Outkick the Morning starts right now. Good morning, friends. Here we are. It's Thursday. We're almost at the end of the week. I consider this kind of the dead zone, you know, between Christmas and New Year's. It's almost like time does not exist this week. You have every right to do absolutely nothing if you have that opportunity. Many of us don't. We're here. We're working. We're making money. We're doing the things. Uh, but, But if you do find yourself in your family just sitting around doing absolutely nothing this week, it is totally acceptable. Again, this is the dead zone. Time does not really exist this week, nor do calories. Okay, so I just want to be honest with all of you because I feel like I owe that to you. I told you all last week that I was not eating sugar for the rest of the month. I was I was going strong for about a week. Well, uh, things really took a turn for the worse over Christmas weekend. I ate all the sugar. Like anything that contained sugar if it was in arm's reach, was consumed by me. I felt absolutely ill after coming back from Pennsylvania. So now I'm back on my journey, eating healthy. I'm trying not to be so restrictive because I feel like maybe by being so restrictive, I just caused myself to binge. But you know, we're doing this. We are, um, we're trying to head into the new year with a healthy body, healthy head, all of the things. So anyways, on that note, everybody, hope you all are having a fantastic week. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Gracie Hunt. Don't forget tomorrow, we've got a kick-ass interview with Ric Flair. It's going to be awesome. I can already promise you that. And today, we will continue the trend of bringing on the most interesting of people onto Outkick the Morning. So right now, I'm super excited to introduce Allison Williams. She is a current sportscaster at Fox Sports, but She is best known for her time, her many years with ESPN. Uh, She was there until 2021 when she was forced to take the COVID vaccination, but refused. So she unfortunately was out of a job at that point. And Allison, first of all, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm super excited to talk to you because we actually did cross paths at ESPN. We never got a chance to meet in person, but we were there for several several of the same years at the same time. Uh, Unfortunately... Your time there came to an end uh, because everyone was mandated to take the COVID vaccination. That was something you were not interested in doing. And um, unfortunately, that meant you had to lose your job. So uh, before we get to that, uh, how are you doing this morning? I'm good. I'm um, super excited to be on with you here in the dead zone. And I feel very good about myself, Charlie, because I'm doing all the things (laughs) that you just mentioned, which is a whole lot of nothing except for consuming everything in sight. Um, and I'm really relieved to know the calories don't count because I'm right there with your girl. <laughs> they do not. Okay, perfect. Good. No, I'm glad we're all on the same page with that. Uh, definitely. I feel like everyone should adopt that mindset. Okay. So Allison, obviously the past couple of years, I mean, at this point, two years in, in change have been an absolute whirlwind for you. Uh, I'm really not sure where to start. So wherever you feel comfortable beginning to share your story, the floor is yours. Yeah, it's it's definitely a lot to unpack, Charlie. Um, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to share it. And I do so fully aware that like mine is is not unique. I am not one of one. I am one of many 
people who went through similar ordeals during the pandemic. And as much as I think we all want to move forward, and I hope we are, I, I hope we also learn as a country and as people how we want to move forward and how we want to handle these situations in the future. Um, I'm just going to give you kind of the cliff notes because I feel like the story has kind of been laid out there. But essentially, um, ESPN, after initially saying that they and their parent company would not essentially require the vaccines. They just encouraged them. They they shifted in July of 2021 and basically said that in order to be in compliance with their lead partners, they would require all employees who were working events remote. So as you know, those are those are games or studio events from site to be vaccinated. Um, at the time, there was not a Disney, you know, company wide uh, vaccine mandate. But anybody who traveled, which was the majority of of my job at ESPN, would be required to be vaccinated and. And my initial reaction was was no on, on a multitude of levels. Um, I had medical concerns. I was trying to to have a second child, and I had religious concerns. It, it completely violated my my long held religious beliefs. And for me, it it was it was two very big weights that I was trying to navigate and how best to move forward with this company and this job that I absolutely loved. Uh, I think anybody yeah. in this profession will tell you it's it's not a profession; it's a passion. I mean, you have to really really love this job to do it. And I did. So um, I, I struggled and I didn't know how to move forward, whether it be with a religious or a medical exemption. Um, I ultimately decided initially to do a medical exemption and I had the support of my doctor. And um, when I went to get the documentation of that support, I was notified that they as a clinic as a whole decided they would not write any exemptions. So that put me in a really weird place um, after a lot of prayer and consulting with family and so forth, um, I decided to go forward still with the exemption and re and apply for um, a religious now. And that was ultimately denied, even though, and this is important for people to realize, ESPN fully acknowledged that these were sincerely held religious beliefs. I was completely vetted, had long conversations with HR. She understood my viewpoints. She had believed them to be sincere. They all did, but they said they couldn't accommodate me. Even though I'd worked as a host, um, I had uh, plenty of opportunities to continue working for the company remotely, as so many people did. But they did not want to do that. They said it was a burden on the company and let me go. Uh, we, I think it's like separated or, or something ridiculous like that. So that kind of sent my world upside down in so many ways. Um, it was it was devastating financially. It was devastating personally. And, and it put me in this weird spot where I feel like even though I work in a public sphere, I was a pretty private person. And it forced a lot of my private beliefs um, and information to, to be public. So it was a really weird ordeal. Ultimately, though, Charlie, I'm super thankful. I'm in a really good spot with Fox Sports. I could not be happier working for them. I, I think you can relate, right? Like sometimes you come out of these things and you don't know what they they hold on the other side, but you're really thankful for where you end up. That's kind of where I am now. I have a um, year and a half old little girl in my second that we were, you know, trying so desperately for during that time when they wanted me mm -hmm. to get a vaccine that I had a lot of questions about how it would affect my fertility. And then ultimately, I, I didn't want to violate my my covenant with God and and my my religious beliefs, and uh, so I chose those over my job. And uh, I found a new job, and I'm I'm good. I'm really really happy and thankful for that. Yeah, it was such a bizarre time uh, because I recall also the mandate coming through initially. It was just oh we encourage, and then it became it's mandatory, and then even past that, uh, I don't even think you were probably there at that point. If you were doing remote work, you even had to have proof of getting your booster shot. It yeah. just was like a never-ending cycle. And now we're at a point in time when COVID is nothing more than the common cold. And the rates at which people are getting vaccinated mm -hmm. or boosted are like 
slim to, you know, compared to the people that are. I mean, the percentages just continue to go down as people are realizing the efficacy. And also the safety is is being questioned at this point as well. What was it like for you like in terms of the reception that you were receiving? Because your business was put so far out there, everyone knew what you were going through. And I do remember very distinctly back at that point in time, if you were vaccinated, I mean, people would look at you like you were some type of freak, like, oh my God, how could, how could you refuse such a thing? What yeah. kind of things were you hearing from your former coworkers or just friends who were even outside the business? Well, I would say, first of all, if it was anybody that knew me that did not support my decision, and there were plenty of them, for the most part, I just didn't hear from them, right? And it, it was obvious on, on some levels. Um, but then there were people who I respect tremendously that reached out and said, look, I don't agree with your decision. I think you should get vaccinated. Um, and even probably on some philosophical levels should be required to, but I support you and I love you as a person and I know you're hurting and I want you to know that I'm sorry you're going through this. I respect that tremendously. The other thing that was really interesting and um, I think kind of unfortunate was how many people reached out privately and 100% agreed, felt bullied into getting the shots themselves. And they, they were very supportive and I appreciate that privately, but publicly they were silent. And I think that's where we really fell short mm -hmm. as as a country. And it, it goes back to this whole cancel culture. And the biggest threat of the cancel culture isn't the person that gets canceled. It's the person that then censors themselves. And that's what happened across the board with so many people who felt the same way through all the madness. And look, I understand. I'm not blaming them. I get this. There was a lot at stake. I was called really horrible things. I mean, people literally blamed me for perpetuating a pandemic, for killing elderly people, for putting everyone at risk. I was a pariah in a lot of the public sphere comments that were were um, hurled my way. I'll tell you a crazy story too. I was at a park um, with my son and we're just playing and there was this little girl and she kept coming over to me. She was probably like 18 months old and she kept wanting me to pick her up. She was so sweet. And I was like, okay, you know, talking to her. Hi, no, I can't like blah, blah, blah. And uh, so I didn't know her. She was there with her grandma. And finally, she was so persistent. I looked at her grandma. I said, I, I'm sorry. I'm a mom, too. I'm not trying to be, do you do you mind if I pick her up? And she looks at me. She's like, no, it's fine. You're vaccinated, right? And I said, no, no, absolutely not. I am not. And she's like, oh, oh, my gosh. Then no, no, absolutely not. And like pulled this little girl away from me. And that was the mentality people had at this time that you were this grave threat mm -hmm. to people because you didn't take this injection. And it, it's really unfortunate. Um, and I, I'm glad that a lot of people have come out the other side and are kind of seeing everything for what it is now. But I do think it's an important lesson for people to remember that if there's something going on that you're not comfortable with, even though it's not the most popular opinion to have, you need to speak out because there's a lot of other people who probably feel the same and are also intimidated about speaking out. And that's the one thing I wish, especially in our industry, that some mm -hmm. of the men that felt the same way would have had, you know what, to stand up and be like, no, this is wrong. And I shouldn't have to do this. Even if they did get it, they, I wish they would have had the guts to say, I shouldn't have to. And these mandates are wrong. And I think that could have maybe affected a change, even internally, you know, at ESPN, maybe if some of these high profile pe people who I know weren't in support of this would have spoken out even internally, that this was wrong. Maybe some some jobs could have been yeah. saved or some, you know, something could have been different in that time, but unfortunately it wasn't. We've got to move forward. Well, jobs could have been saved. You don't know the effects that some people have suffered as a result of getting the vaccination. I mean, we might never know. I mean, long some of these effects might not show up for years down the road. I mean, who's to say? Um, it's just disgusting that there could have been a time 
that we've lived through a time where you were mandated to put something into your body against your will or else uh, when you just look at so many other issues at the forefront, like abortion, for example, that people are so passionate about, you know, your body, your choice. Okay, well, what what happened in this circumstance? Isn't it the same thing? Shouldn't it exist? My body, my choice. But it it didn't. Uh, And it's really sad to think about. And and you actually I think did did you pursue legal action against ESPN or at least consider it? Yeah, no, we are. We're in the midst of a lawsuit. It is um, a very new world process to me. <laughs> and it's been a bit overwhelming at times. There's no doubt about that. But it's myself and two others. Um, one of the women is, is Beth Faber, who anybody in the industry would know. She has uh, become an absolute um, rock in my world. And I'm so thankful for her. We were through, you know, with this together every step of the way. She spent 30 years as a producer at ESPN. She's a single mom of three and she walked away and got nothing after 30 years, you know, working for, for a company and for a job that, that she really needed. And that's why I say, like, I share my story and I'm thankful too, but I I speak for people like Beth who sacrificed so much more and stood in their faith and, and stood strong in their beliefs when everybody else um, did, not everybody else, but a lot of other people did it. And they had so much more to lose. Like I, I have a husband that, you know, luckily wasn't in jeopardy of losing his job. Um, and there are people who were in much dire financial straits than me that, that took that risk for their moral and religious beliefs and the importance of preserving them in this country. And that's why we ultimately decided to take legal action because, and again, it was a lot of prayer because it's an intimidating place to be on. You're taking on an absolute juggernaut in ESPN and Disney, and and we are three, you know, mere people. But um, we felt like it was really important to send a message that this is not okay. And going forward, religious beliefs matter, and they have um, they have constitutional protections. We need to uphold those, and we need to make sure that people's rights are not violated in the name of public safety or whatever cloak they want to put on it. That we truly hold. Um, the beliefs that our country was founded on. Like this is this is important for people to realize. These are literally the founding principles of our country that people are trying, these companies are trying to erode for whatever reasons. And so we did pursue legal action. We're in the midst of a lawsuit. Um had our first hearing in October on a few motions to dismiss, and we're still waiting on the judgment um in, in those. But either way, it will move forward. It's gonna be a long process and we know that and we're in it for the long haul. And so it, it's something that um, we just kind of take day by day, step by step and uh, hope we have a lot of prayer and, uh, and, and good vibes on our side. Cause it yeah. is a, it's a, it's a daunting thing to think about, honestly. I can, o- I can only imagine, uh, like you just said, taking on a company, you know, Disney ESPN, you're, you're three people who, you know, re- truly realize you were wronged, uh, not just because, for religious beliefs. I mean, you also, you had your medical exemption turned down as well. And didn't, you had a vaccination, I believe when you were 12 years old, you had an adverse reaction to. So it was not just something where you were saying you weren't unsure about, you know, the efficacy or the safety. You actually have a, a, a past of, of not doing well with vaccinations. So this was something you obviously would be even more afraid of, especially at such a sensitive and delicate time for you when you're undergoing IVF treatments and you're a bit immunosuppressed and you need things to be at their peak performance. Yeah, well, it was to me, it was another from the medical side, it was another factor that like you couldn't control and you just didn't know. Um, And that was the biggest thing. This was all new. So if anybody could have came to me and said, hey, here's our studies. 
from, you know, 50 year olds whose mothers received this injection that were completely fine and didn't right. have congenital heart, you know, defects five years later, things that happen preconception and in birth can manifest several years later. So from a medical side, there was just an unknown. And all I wanted was like an individual cost benefit analysis. What's the benefit for me? What's the risk? And it didn't outweigh um, as far as the benefits go. I'd had COVID. I had immunity. If you look up any definition of vaccine prior to this well, pandemic, it was to produce an immune response of an infection without the risk. I had the infic- infection. I had I had the the immune um, response needed. So there was no benefit in my view other than yeah. to keep my job. Um, and again, it was this element of another unknown when you're so there's so many things you can't control when you're going through IVF, right? And there's a timing aspect to it. I mean, everything that they can control, they try to down to the day to the hour. And um, to throw this kind of wild card in there for that, like for what benefit there to me individually, and that's all I asked was yeah. like, individual medical decisions be made by individuals um, in conjunction with their medical team. Uh, there, there wasn't a benefit and I couldn't deal with even Charlie, like the, the unknown. So let's say um, something does go wrong with the pregnancy and it's not in God's plan and, and it happens that you, you lose the pregnancy. I could have peace knowing that it wasn't because of this injection I was forced to take. Of course. But if I had that, had to get that, and then I wasn't able to go to term when I'd had a previously healthy pregnancy or I had complications mm-hmm. post-birth or in, I'm going to wonder in the back of my head and only I'm going to have to live of with Of course, that. always. And only I have to deal with those, those results. So I had to make an individual choice for myself, regardless of what it was going to cost me professionally, mm-hmm. because my family, I always promised I put before my profession. Yeah, I, I have so much respect for you for standing up for your beliefs. I think there's so many people who felt the same way that you did, but we're too scared. I mean, losing your job is, like you said, it's not just your job for a lot of people. It's your passion. It's also helping, you know, financially, yeah. you know, allowing you to, to, to live your life. There's a lot of things that are contingent upon having a job. You were for, not forced, but you testified in, uh, was it this summer uh, in front of Congress, one of the committees uh, about, you know, what you went through, really forced to uh, essentially relive this trauma? Uh, what was that like? And, you know, was that a decision that did someone approach you about doing that? Did you request to do that? What was what was that whole thing like? Yeah. And what was the main point of the message that you were trying to get across? It was wild. Honestly, it was really wild. I was home in Michigan on vacation, like out on a boat with my family. And I, I get this email um, essentially asking if I would be interested testifying next week in front of uh, Congress for the, oh the Select subcommittee on the COVID-19 pandemic. It was, it was wild. It happened very, very fast. And my initial reaction is like, is this real? Am I getting, you know, it was a spam. Um, and then I, I, I did a little research and found out how they got a hold of me and so forth. And I was like, okay, this, this is legitimate. Like this is Congress. This is the real deal. Um, and I, I was a little intimidated and, I, and, you know, apprehensive and what does this mean? But Again, I felt compelled to. Um, and then I, I ultimately felt really honored. Um, I felt uh, an obligation to speak again for a lot of people who don't have the opportunity to. And that was not something I took lightly. I will say, though, the experience was um, it was not like I expected. And, and in retrospect, I probably would have done some things differently had I known the way that these subcommittee hearings play out. It's um, it's kind of wild, like 
the Congress members really use it just as an opportunity to speak. I thought there would be more engagement. I thought they would want to listen. If I'm flying mm. myself out there and committing this amount of time, I thought there would be like, okay, we want to hear from you. Like, what is the feedback to you? It was not that. It was, especially when the Democrats spoke, it was it was them projecting whatever they wanted to. Um, I, there was, you know, one guy putting up tweets, uh, I can't talk, sorry, tweets of um, RFK Jr. And then, you know, there was like wild, just back and forth. Um, and I felt a little bit like, why are we here if you're not here to hear us? And there was not a lot of engagement. So I, I was a little bit disappointed in that. And I wish I would have used my five minutes to speak a little differently had I known that. Um, and again, I felt like the Democrats just kept going back to the safety and efficacy. And that's not what this specific hearing was about. This was about the mandates and why they were wrong. And I felt like we kept getting off topic on that. And so that was frustrating. And I, I thought Chairman Wenstrup did a phenomenal job when he had the floor and um, in his engagement with the, the witnesses, as they're called. But I felt like overall, the members, I mean, they're in, they're in and out. It's super weird. So like they're not even all in there at the same time. And there was multiple moments when I was like, well, can I ask them a question? Like, am I allowed to speak? Like, I don't, I, don't, I didn't really know how it all worked. And I wish I would have had a better oh understanding God. of that because well, I feel like I would have done that a little differently. Well, hearing your account and the process and what it looked like, it makes total sense why our country is being run like an absolute, I don't want to say, you know, blank yes. show uh, yes. <laughs> currently. I mean, it's just, but that's what it is. You know, like it feels like there's no real process or organization or right. people hearing like the facts or other people's sides. It's all just, uh, it's all just like noises uh, and, yes, and people just shouting task. out random Exactly. Right. Like stay on task, like stay focused. Like this is the point of this. This is not the time and place for information on how many lives saved. It's about the mandates. Like this is not what this is about. And you're right. It, it is, um, it is, a, it is a cluster. <laughs> yeah. A cluster is a great way to put it. Um, okay. So you already had a, a, a boy at the time you have since given birth to a girl. Congratulations. She's now a year and a half old, which really just is like a testament to how quickly time flies. Yes. And now, you know, as of when did you accept the job at Fox Sports? That was last year, correct? Last year. Yep. Yep. Last uh, fall was my first okay. football season with them. Mm -hmm. So sportscaster Fox Sports, mother of two. I also know you're raising chickens, which is something I want to hear all about. <laughs> how would you describe life right now? And when you look at what your life was like a couple of years ago versus the position you're in right now, you've got to just feel so grateful and thankful and I guess where I would want to start is Fox Sports. I mean, aside from ESPN, Fox Sports is the biggest uh, sports platform, I would say. Did they have any reservations about bringing on someone that was unvaccinated? Or what did that conversation look like when they approached you or you approached them? You know, it wasn't even a conversation. It never came up. It was never an issue. It was never discussed. Isn't it crazy? Isn't yeah. it crazy how they yeah. were firing people for not getting it? And now it is not even a factor in hiring no. someone and in this, for the honestly, same position. Right, right. And I was honestly worried, like, maybe some teams are going to have reservations about me being around or some coaches. It was, I can't even tell you how non-issue non this was. <laughs> non-issue. Which, which is what drove me so crazy about ESPN is they were so short-sighted. I'm like, look, I'm not looking for an accommodation for the rest of my life. Give me a year. Sign me to a one-year contract. Make it for crap money. Let me work from home hosting the show or two, you know, until this thing figures out. Um, or let me go to studio and they, and they wouldn't. And if they would have just given me 10 months, 
this whole thing was gone. Yeah. Um, but again, uh, really thankful to be where I'm at. I had, you asked, you know, kind of what life is like now and, and it's so different and you don't realize it when you're in it. And trust me, I was full on drinking the Kool-Aid at ESPN like this, there was nothing better. Right. Um, and I had a really hard time even grasping how I would move forward and, and not working for that company it had been such a big part of my identity. It had been a goal. It had been the dream and you're there and you're going to let it go. And, you know, I covered the national championship game and had some really great events and worked really hard to move up within that company. I'm like, how do I even start over somewhere else? I don't want to go anywhere else. And then I got to Fox, which, um, I, I can't even tell you how thankful I am for, and I'm thankful for my former uh, colleagues at ESPN who went to bat for me with Fox and said like, no, you need to hire her. She's, she's, um, she's legit. And they, 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 they really uh, stood up for me and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, they, they, it was such a quick process. It was so easy. It was literally a zoom interview. And then they're like, okay, yeah, cool. We'll sign you to a contract uh, for the football season. (laughs) And it's just such a different company because you mentioned, you know, they're one of the biggest next to ESPN, but ESPN is so big, pretty small. And so you just don't have those layers of junk to kind of cut through on a professional level. So I'm really mm-hmm. thankful for that. It's been such a seamless transition. The people I work with are phenomenal. I mean, on football, we're all ex-ESPNers. My producer, you know, play-by-play, Jason Benetti and analyst Brock Heward, all were at ESPN. We're all at Fox now. We absolutely love working together. We have such a tremendous crew around us. And I'm really, I'm so thankful. And it, it's such a better work-life balance. And I, everybody always wants to ask, so what's the difference between the two? And the, the simplest way I can describe it is, and I wonder if your experience is kind of the same now being out of the ESPN world. Yeah. ESPN treats you like you're lucky to be there. Fox treats you like mm-hmm. they're lucky to have you. And it's such a difference um, in how they value their employees that you can literally, you, you just feel. And I'm, I'm thankful because it put me back in the sport I love. It put me back doing what I love doing. Um, and it still allows me to be home a bit more. Like It's not the grind that I had with the ESPN schedule. Um, and they treat people really well. And I'm, I'm thankful for that because I feel like I'm able to put my family first and still do what I love. And that's what we all strive for. Ultimately, it's it's always a balancing act. <laughs> that's what we all kind of hope for. Right. Always, always, always. In this business, a balancing act is is putting it lightly. But to your point of being at ESPN, I do agree with you. Uh, these aren't my words, but somebody else's. They said the, you know, when when they bring in talent, no matter how amazing they are, they can never be bigger than the four letters. Right. ESPN always must be paramount. It's not a. It's you know they want the talent to promote the brand, but the talent can never be bigger than the brand itself. Um, so to your point, yeah, I do believe that. Um, that's kind of how the ship is run there. And it is eye-opening when you get somewhere else and you say, oh, they actually want me to be me and they're really embracing. And it's, you know, it's not about one being better than the other. It's, it's, a, it's a cohesive partnership, right? If, if the talent mm-hmm. is not being who they are in, in showcasing all of their skills and talent, I mean, there are a few people at ESPN who are able to do that, but for the most part, um, yes, I totally agree with you. Uh, so now you're at Fox Sports. Uh, let's get to the to the motherhood portion because, like we said, work life balance. How is it being a mother of two uh, with that balancing act now? One and a half, and then your son is, I believe, four, four. and a half, four or is he half. just yep. four? Mm-hmm. Four. Okay. Four half, yeah. Okay. So so so, what's that been like for you? Trying to you know, you're on the road, you're doing sideline reporting, you're doing studio stuff, and you're also a mother of two. It's nuts, but in the best way possible. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I laugh now because 
now that, you know, my daughter's older, I leave her on the weekends when my kids are babies, because they're both born in July. I take them with me the majority of the season uh, through football, which which is insane, but also makes it easier in some ways, especially when you're a breastfeeding mom. Like Will for you, me, I needed wait, my baby. I'm with sorry, me. you take them with you? Yeah, yeah. And, and oh not gosh. every weekend, but probably 80 per 70 percent. Um, and you know, I just, you, you, you pluck from your village and you, you put in some phone calls and ask for some favors. And my sisters were huge. My mom was tremendous. Uh, I didn't have like a consistent nanny or anything that, that traveled with me, but you make it work. And some weekends I had to leave my husband with both. And I did that a lot this year. And I will tell you, um, it's, it's challenging at times he's fully aware that the easiest part of my week is when I leave, (laughs) um, and not having to, you know, be in mom mode the whole time, but you figure it out. Um, and for me, the best way to be the mom I wanted to be and the professional I wanted to be was bring my babies with me when they're babies. Uh, once they get mobile, it's, it's, it's a different deal. So um, it's, it's amazing. It's fun. And it's nothing that hasn't been done before. You know, there there's been working moms in this business for mm-hmm. a long time that have kind of set the path and the tone for a lot of us. The one thing I'm thankful for now that I think there's been a little bit of a shift and I, I almost, I kind of wonder when this started. And I think it was a little bit with Sam Ponder and, you know, she took scout on the road with her for game day and, and wasn't quiet about it. And that's what I love is I feel like now as women, we're allowed yeah. to mother out loud and we're allowed to mother unapologetically and say like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to bring my baby and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to, you know, pump during this production meeting. And that might make you feel a little uncomfortable, but that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm not going to apologize for it. And I, I am so thankful to the women who, again, have gone down this path before me and made me comfortable being a mom and a working mom. And, um, like I said, you know, it's been wild and there's been challenges and you're like breastfeeding in ambulances at halftime or, you know, pumping in closet rooms, you know, right before games, but you do what you got to do. And and that's life as a mother. And and that's part of what makes a good time so good is those crazy, unpredictable, wacky yeah. times. Um, but you figure it out and it's awesome because it's worth it every, every moment. Well, I'm sure this will make for some good stories once the kids are old enough to really comprehend and you say, oh, you were at this game, you yep. were on the sideline of this game. I'd be like, wait, what? That's so cool. Um, that, that's, that's so great. Okay, so let's get into a couple of things that are occurring right now in the football world because I'd love to get your perspective. Uh, one of which I just heard you mention that you have roots in Michigan. You said that you were actually in Michigan when you were called to to testify before Congress. Uh, so you, we have a big gang coming up, Michigan, Alabama. Do you have any any thoughts on that one? Yes, I'm actually in Michigan as we speak here for uh, the holidays oh. with the fam. And as you can imagine, people are, are are quite excited around these parts. We're just outside of Ann Arbor oh, yeah. about 30 minutes. Um, I actually had Michigan earlier this year when they played at Nebraska. And I have I did not have Alabama this year, but I will tell you, Michigan is about as solid a team as you're going to find top to bottom. Um, they don't have a lot of weaknesses. Now, granted, when they take on Alabama, Jalen Miller will probably be the best athlete on the team. For me, Michigan, well, they've taken, I would say, like a step back offensively in recent weeks. If you look at their overall production at the end of the season, if Blake Quorum can be Blake Quorum, and remember, they didn't have him in the postseason last year. Um, if he can be the caliber of running back that he's capable of, this guy's a freak. He's just an absolute freak. Like you meet, you meet him and like physically, just the way he's built is, is special. If he can play at the level uh, that he's capable of against a very, very good Alabama defense, I think Michigan's got a really good chance. Um, their secondary is good enough. 
I think they've got all the pieces on defense. For me, can that offense stay on the field, control time of possession, Blake Corum, Mm -hmm. do the dirty work, J.J. McCarthy, do what he needs to. That kid is so fun to cover, by the way. Um, Obviously missing a piece on the offensive line, but I think Michigan's got as good a chance as as you could hope for. Not an easy draw playing Alabama right now with the way they're playing, but I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. And I just love it. Like Michigan in the Rose Bowl, it just feels like college football as somebody that grew up in the Midwest. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game, but I, I think I'd go with the Wolverines in this one. And I don't think that's just my my hometown bias. So, I mean, despite the fact, though, that Al- Alabama's very fast, I mean, is there a possibility that they do outpace Michigan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do think ultimately that like what what Michigan does on the defensive side, there's um, there's an NFL component to it. There's a level of complexity to it. It's such a veteran group that I think that they can counter a lot of what Alabama is able to do offensively just with their scheme. Um, Sam Russell is a great cornerback. I think he's got all the all the skills necessary to provide uh, what they need on the defensive side. It's going to be tough. I mean, like I said, Alabama is, is there for a reason, whether you look like it or not, <laughs> however much you want to argue, argue it. Uh, they're playing their best football of late. I, yeah, I do. I think ultimately the scheme on Michigan's defense with Jesse Minter and what he's been able to do in his few years there in Ann Arbor. And again, the veteranness, the experience on that side of the ball, I think will favor the Wolverines. Uh, and finally, I just want to touch on one NFL topic, and that is that Russell Wilson, you know, the man was paid so much money to come to the Broncos. And now we are getting breaking news uh, that not only is he going to be benched effective immediately uh, for backup Jared Stidham, but mm-hmm. now we're also finding out that he's not even going to be with the Broncos after this season. Like there's already been discussions he already knows very well. He's full aware that they're going to go their separate ways. And I'm just, I'm mind blown, although not shocked. Um, I always had it pretty much uh, understood that he was a system quarterback, which was why he was so successful in Seattle for so long. Uh, And even with Sean Payton coming out of the Broncos, I didn't hold out much hope for Russell Wilson. But Allison, here we are. It looks like the Russell era, Russell Wilson era uh, is coming to an end. It's crazy, and it's unfortunate for him to have things and they, the the way they are with the Broncos and the way they did with Seattle because he is a good player and he's a, he's a good quarterback and a good person. Um, but you are absolutely right. This doesn't speak to an issue with production. This speaks to an issue of philosophy, of personality. And it's very clear that the Denver Broncos organization, they see their future with Sean Payton and what he wants to do and not with Russell Wilson and what mm-hmm. he's able to provide. So to me, with the timing of it, even before all of this came out this morning, uh, the timing of it, the massive cap hit that they're going to take, I think it's like $85 million potentially in dead money. I mean, it, the numbers <sighs> are just astronomical. This, <laughs> this is the type of decision Insane. that could really set a franchise back, right? So to me, it was very clear that this was about an issue um, between him and, and probably Sean Payton and the organization as a whole and how they saw best to move forward. And and I don't know if it was a message that needed to be sent perhaps uh, to the rest of the team to give Peyton complete control of this team and and the way they operate moving forward. Maybe they do want to see what they have in Jared Siddham. I doubt that was like a high you know, reason on the list of why they made the decision yeah. that they did. And it also speaks to, I think too, Charlie, there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that we just don't see. You know, you get little glimmers of it on the sideline when there's a little back and forth and um, the tempers are, are flying a little bit, but like there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes and that goes into these decisions that we are just not privy to. And uh, as shocking as you know, you said it is, I don't think 
it's the biggest surprise in the world just because of, you know, what he's able to provide and probably what this organization wants to do moving forward to be competitive in the NFL. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, Allison, you are so fantastic. I'm so happy to finally... Even though we were at ESPN at the same time for three years, <laughs> uh, I know, you know, we were all, always in different places at different times, but I'm so happy to have finally met you, finally gotten a chance to hear your story because I've obviously been hearing about it for several years now. And um, to say that I respect you is an understatement uh, at, at the time when all this was happening. Uh, I know we were all very fearful about what was going on and there was really not a choice, uh, but I love and respect that you stood up for yourself and you made the move that you did. And I'm so happy that now you found a new home where you are loved and appreciated because you definitely deserve it. Thank you. And, and same to you. I really, I respect you so much and I appreciate you having, having me on and giving um, a voice and a space to a lot of voices that aren't given that opportunity in our, in our world and in our sphere. And that's why I love the Outkick family. Um, and I'm so happy to see you doing well and getting the shine that you deserve as well. Thank you. Well, happy new year. Merry Christmas, Happy, yes, New, Happy year, New Year, and um, good luck with college basketball season. I uh, I want nothing but the best for you in this this new year we've got coming up. Thank you, I appreciate that. Same to you. Outkick the morning. We'll be right back after a short break. Stay tuned. Um, okay. Speaking of the new year, let's take a little look back at 2023, shall we? Because wow, it was a year. A lot of interesting things happen, but a lot of things I would blame on the fact that the world has gone completely woke. So let's just let's just look, take a few a look at a few of the elements because we would need hours and hours and days and days and months and months if we wanted to observe each and every example. But one of them, I truly believe, is that the beer drinking would look a lot different this year than it has in recent months. Remember when people used to drink Bud Light? Well, unfortunately, once Dylan Mulvaney entered the chat. Uh, Bud Light tanked uh, $27 billion since Dylan Mulvaney and Bud Light decided to have that cross-promotion. Uh, One-time-only thing, uh, they definitely learned their lesson. Uh, we're still waiting for a real true apology, but point is, Bud Light obviously has learned. They're going to be teaming up with UFC in the new year. We'll see what that does for their sales. Uh, but they definitely have realized, go woke, go broke. Hopefully other companies can also keep that top of mind. Also, pronouns. Guys, how many pronouns exist now? I, I, I can't keep up. I feel like every single day there are new pronouns that are coming to light. Uh, let's just, for example, just to remind you how egregious and insane things have got, take a look at this video. Okay, guys, I can't. This is too funny. So I'm at work. And those of you who don't know me, I use they, them pronouns. And I'm a preschool teacher. So instead of using Mr. or Miss, we use Mix. So the kids have been really <laughs> awesome doing that. We work with three and four-year-olds. One of my kiddos came up to me and he goes, Are you mixed up? Is, are you mixed up? I was like, no, sweetie, I'm not mixed up. I just use, I just use Mix instead of Mr. or Mrs. And he's like, can you imagine being in school and be like, mix whoever? I mean, it just literally makes no sense to me. Also, you all probably have seen the 
Delta employee that was attempted to be shamed by a transgender who was getting on a flight this past weekend. And they just were not having it. They completely shut it down in a very respectful manner, right? They're just trying to do their job. Uh, we're not here to understand everybody's pronouns at all times. Anyways, uh, that needs to go away. Uh, let's also examine how the left has really tried to destroy over the course of the past year what it means to be a woman. Uh, because now in their minds, men can apparently have babies. Uh, there also uh, is the idea that men should be able to compete in women's sports because they identify as such, right? They should have access to anything they want if they identify as a woman. Uh, also, we're now learning in Canada that tampons will be in the men's bathrooms because why not, right? Men can get their periods now apparently in 2023. I guess we'll be taking that into 2024 with us. Uh, also, Comedy, it doesn't really exist anymore because everything has to be so politically correct. People are oversensitized to the fact that now we can't tell the funny jokes. So I say in 2024, let's make America funny again. Let's bring back the fat Monica jokes. If SNL can take shots at Trump the whole time, let's take some shots at Biden because there are many comedic aspects to Biden's presidency, whether you are a fan of him or not. And also, as far as movies are concerned, let's just hire the best actor for the role. Not everything needs to be diversity central. That's that's not how it needs to be. Um, there's a lot of other ways that we could probably advise people to take things into the new year, but I'm only one voice. We've got to get everybody on board so we can get rid of the insanity, go into much more of a normal culture as we were accustomed to many, many moons ago. Hasn't been that way for quite a while, but everybody, this has been so much fun. And I'm, I'm super excited for tomorrow, too, because Ric Flair, a guy that I've known for years, uh, I became close with him while I was working at WWE. We have maintained a friendship till this day. So I was super excited when he reached out, wanting to come on the show. And all you already know, the, the stories that come out of his mouth, unmatched. So I hope you will tune in for that as we make our way closer and closer to the new year. Everyone, make sure that you are following me on social media at Charlie on TV. And I will see all of you for Ric Flair's interview tomorrow.